Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, of course, we're continuing our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew presents Jesus as the the King of the Jews. If you remember, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew presents Jesus as the King, Mark presents him as a servant, Luke presents him as a man, and John presents him as God. And so as we go through the Gospel of Matthew over and over, we see Jesus being shown to be the King of the Jews, and we see him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In this section that we're in now, basically starting back at chapter 8 and going through chapter 10, we're seeing what we call the power of the king because we're going to see what Jesus did. And we've seen uh, things like this. We've seen his power over sickness and disease, his power over nature, his power over demons, his power even over death. And in this section, there's miracle after miracle. This morning, here's what we're going to see this morning. His healing sickness, raising from the dead, opening blind eyes, casting out demons, all of this. And as we look at this, we're going to see a reaction. Reaction by the people, they marvel. Some believe, some don't, but they marvel. But the religious leaders reject and attack. And so as we look at this passage, there's going to be some great things. Also, at the very end of the passage, there's this famous statement that everybody knows. It says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers in the harvest. We're going to talk a little bit about that right at the end to talk about how that fits together. When you, when you think about the Bible, you, you know, a lot of times, it's such a big book. We have a, a saying that we always say that the story of the Bible is how the perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. So the story of the Bible is how God saves mankind, reconciles man to himself. One of the books of the Old Testament, which is a big book, and it's 66 chapters, is the book of Isaiah. And a lot of times people look at it, and, and some people have actually asked me, Have you gonna, would you teach through Isaiah verse by verse, passage by passage? I said, well, if Matthew takes us a couple of years, I think Isaiah would take the rest of my life, and so we're probably not going to do it that way. But uh, it, it, Isaiah has so much in there. In chapters 32 and in chapter 61, what... Isaiah proclaims about the Messiah and the king when he comes. He says this, that he will do both physical and spiritual miracles. And that's what we see Jesus doing. He's healing the sick and raising the dead, but he's also proclaiming the good news message that salvation is by faith. And so as we look at this section, there's so much there. And we're seeing in this section Christ's power, his love, his compassion, and his teaching. And so as we think about the book, and I hope that many of you maybe forget to get it, but out on the table out there, and and, and even on the front part, there's this little thing we hand out, and on one side it tells you all about the the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, and on this side gives you an outline, and we're in the third section really on the outline, or the... Uh, which is called the power of the king revealed. And so that's what we're seeing. We're seeing Christ's power. And, and when we think about that, we've seen, what, look at what he's done just as we started chapter 8. He healed a leper. He healed the, the centurion's servant. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He calmed a storm. He cast out some demons. He healed a paralyzed man, and he forgave sins. That's what he's done so far. Now, this morning, there's going to be even more. And by the way, just remember, only God can do these things. And what he's showing by the signs, by the miracles, he's presenting himself to the nation of Israel. Now, you've got to understand something. When you read the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to see it over and over, all the way through the book, what does he say? I'm, he sends his 12 out. He sends the 70 out. He goes to the lost sheep of the house of Israel because he's presenting himself as the king of the Jews. It's not till the very end of the book when we get to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the first time he says that in the gospel of Matthew. So he's presenting himself as the king of the Jews. 
And it's really, really powerful. Only God can do that. Only God is the, the king of Israel. And so when, when we see this, here's, here's what I look at. We see the response by people. The multitudes as a whole, many of them marveled, many of believed. And we're going to look at this passage, and I want you to notice something. He does a miracle here, and the people say something like this. Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. That didn't mean they believed in him as Messiah. It just says, they said, wow, nothing like this has ever happened before. We don't know whether they believed or not. Some probably did, but we're going to see the religious leaders, how they reject and how they attack. Well, let's begin. Jesus has been teaching, and, and we're going to see what happens. But this, this event this morning, as we start, in, in has, has a two, two twelve aspects. There's the 12-year-old girl who gets sick and then dies, and there's a woman who has had an issue of blood for 12 years. It's kind of amazing that it's 12 years for her and 12 years for the little girl, and we'll see how this ties together. Let's look at verse 18. While he was saying these things to him, a synagogue official came up and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Now, the ruler of a synagogue, that synagogue official, there was a thing called an archisynagosis. That was the meaning the overseer of the synagogue. This man would, was not usually a Pharisee or a Sadducee. He was a religious man, and he had a lot of power, and he would decide when they would come in, he would decide what the reading was. He, he made, Remember those days, men sat in one place, women sat in another. He decided what would be read that day if someone wanted to speak. Speak, he was the one that decided if someone would speak. So he, he's a very powerful person, and he's coming to Jesus. And let me tell you, look what he does. He, he comes and he bows down before Jesus. He understands that Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, I think he's believed in Jesus Christ as Savior already because he comes before him, bows down to him, and says, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Now, Matthew gives us just a brief overview because, let me tell you, if you go to Mark and Luke, here's what you find out. That the little girl, when, when he first gets to Jesus, she hadn't died yet. He comes to Jesus and says, my daughter is very sick. Would you come and heal her? And Jesus says, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come. And then what happens is, while they're on the way, someone comes to the man and says, you don't need to bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter has already died. And so I think Matthew just kind of puts it together and says, he came up and said, my daughter has died. So picture this. You, you, many of you have had children. I have children now. Think about your daughter. 12 years old, and she's so sick, probably high fever. In that day and time, when they got sick like that, they said, we don't know what to do. There's nothing we can do. And you know she's not going to make it. But you know about Jesus, and you know that you have been hearing things, that he's got people well, and that people who had diseases got well, and that people had demons cast out of them, and that he did miracle things, and you believe that maybe he is the Messiah, and you're going to him. And you come to him and you fall down before him and say, help my daughter, help me. What does Jesus say? Sure. <laughs> so it says uh, Jesus, got, uh, Jesus got up and began to follow him and so did his disciples. That's verse 19. So they're, they're going. Now this, this is great. 
And, uh, but something happens on the way. Now, by the way, I want you to picture this. Here's Jesus going. Here's the disciples. Here's the man waiting, getting Jesus to his daughter. But there are all kinds of people everywhere, wherever Jesus walked. I mean, it's just a throng and crowds of people, and people are pushing each other and everything, and people want to get the, they want to see what he looks like. I want to touch him. I, it's sort of like when you see people follow after movie stars, which I think is stupid. But anyway, they do. And, and so you can see this. And so here's Jesus walking. Here's the Father. Here's some of the disciples. Here's people everywhere. And here's what happens. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, for she was saying to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will get well. Now, we're going to meet this woman. And once again, Matthew just gives us a little bit of information, but you go to the other Gospels, you find out that she had an issue of blood, and so she was bleeding. And under the Mosaic law, if you had an issue of blood, you were considered unclean. If you were unclean, you couldn't touch other people. You couldn't hug people. You couldn't have people touch you. You couldn't even live in the same place, because if you went into a place... Wherever you sit, wherever you were, suddenly it was unclean. People had to leave the room. And so she's an outcast. And she's heard about Jesus. And she believes that Jesus Christ can heal her. And she believes he's the Messiah, most likely. And so here's this crowd of people. And she's saying to herself, I don't care what happens. I'm going to get I'm going to get close to him. Because if somehow, if I could just touch him, if I could just touch him, I think I would be, I, I know I'd be made well. I would be made well. And uh, so uh, think about what her life was like for 12 years. Nobody hugged her. She couldn't touch anybody. In fact, she's not supposed to touch anybody. What's she planning on doing? She planned on touching Jesus, <laughs> which is against the law, Mosaic law, but she, she doesn't care. She knows he can do something. I want you to see this, this contrast so on one side, you've got this ruler who's real important. You've got this woman who's sort of an outcast. You've got his daughter, which was young. You've got this woman who is old. You've got the daughter who had been well, but now she's dying and dies. You've got this woman who's been sick for 12 years, which she wants to be as well. And so you have this great contrast. And she comes up behind him. And she touches, as verse 20 says, the fringe of his cloak. Men, men in that day, they wore something a little like a shawl. It, it, you could put it over your head, and it covered you in the front, the back, and the sides. Almost like a, a, like a little blanket, but, you know. And there were four corners, and on each corner there was a tassel. That's what the men did. And then most of the time it was blue. And what men wore it for is that whenever they saw the tassel, according to the Mosaic law, they were to remember to pray. Some of the Pharisees, since they're so legalistic, they made their tassels. The bigger the tassel, they would say, the more spiritual we are. So it was like ridiculous. But Jesus has that. And she comes up and touches him and says, she was saying to herself, I just touched the garment. I want to touch the fringe of his cloak. The fringe of his cloak is the tassel. She says, if I could just touch him, everything would be okay. Now, I want you to notice carefully when she says, if I, on, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. She's not saying, uh, and by the way, this is what they call a third class if, which says, maybe, maybe not. She's not saying, maybe, maybe not, I'll be made well. She's saying, maybe, maybe not, I'll touch him. So she says, if, maybe I will, maybe I won't touch him, I will get well. She knew the power. She knew Christ's power. She thought if she could touch him, she would be made well. Now, <clears throat> Luke tells us that she had spent every bit of money that she had, and she'd gone to every doctor she could go to, and she kept getting worse instead of better. 
So she's hopeless. You know, when we come to Jesus Christ, you know how we come to Christ for salvation? We come hopeless. It's not our works. It's not our goodness. It's not anything we have to offer to God. We realize Jesus died for us, paid for our sins, and rose again, that he offers a gift of eternal life. It's not that we're going to make some bargain with him and we got something to offer him. We're coming hopelessly as well, and we say, Lord, I... I, I trust in Jesus to give me eternal life. And so here's what happens. So she comes up, and she touches him. And Matthew just says, but Jesus turning and seeing her says, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And that once the woman was made well. Now, if you look at the other Gospels, you've got a little bit more information. If you look at Luke and Mark, she comes up behind him, touches him, and backs off. And Jesus goes, Wait a minute. Okay, who touched me? Who touched me? And there's people everywhere, and one of the disciples looks at him and says, Lord, everybody's pushing on you. What do you mean, who touched you? He said, somebody touched me. And he looks right back at her, because he knows exactly what happened. He knows she touched him. He knows, he knows he's already healed her. And she looked at him, and she realized that she couldn't. And so she falls on her knees in front of him and says, I touched you and you, and I was immediately made well in front of all these people. Now, picture that you're... You're the synagogue official, and you're in a really hurry to get to your daughter. And Jesus stops, and you're going to say to him, don't worry about it. Let's keep going. Keep going. Why are you stopping? we got to get there before something happens. And you know what happens? While they're standing there talking, somebody comes up to him and says, you don't need to bother the teacher any longer. Your daughter has died. So just what that guy feared happened. He said, let's get there as quickly as possible. Jesus stops to talk to some woman. And what happens? The word comes, your daughter has already died. One of the other gospels says that Jesus hears the man come and say, don't bother the teacher. Your your daughter has already died. And Jesus said, just believe. Just believe. Jesus turned to this woman and said, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. At once, the woman was made well. Take courage. See, faith in Jesus Christ gives us eternal life. She had faith not only in him that he was the Messiah and Savior, but that he would uh, make her well. And by the way, this is so weird. The, the word, the Greek word to be healed and the, same, and the Greek word to be saved is exactly the same word. Sozo. When he says here, your faith has made you well, it literally in the Greek says your faith has saved you. So he could be saying, your faith has given you eternal life. He could even be saying, your faith has made you physically well. It's the same word. It's the same thing. Now watch what happens. They finally get to the house. But for the, for the synagogue ruler, he's not very happy. His daughter has died. But what did Jesus say to him? What did he say? Only what? Just believe. You've got to believe. When Jesus came into the official's house, that's verse 23, he saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder. And he said, what in the world is going on? If you were wealthy in that day and time, if someone of your relative died, you hired mourners to come. Because if you died and only a couple of people were sad, then you must not be very important. So if you died, they hired people. They called them professional mourners. They would bring and they would come and play music. And they would mourn, and they would make a lot of noise, and they would weep. And so they get there, and he says that the, he saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder. They've already gone out, and they got a whole bunch of people to come because the 12-year-old daughter has passed away. And Jesus told that man, listen, don't just believe. 
And so the crowd is there, and look at verse 24. Jesus came and he said, leave, for the girl has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. He was telling them to leave. And by the way, it's written in the Greek, it says, uh, would you please leave? Would you please leave? Would you please leave? He was telling them to get out of there. All these people making all this noise, and he's telling them to get out. And he said, she's not dead, she's asleep. And they started laughing because they know she's dead. And they think, this guy doesn't know anything. Jesus knows everything. And they left. And the other Gospels tell us that Jesus looked around and he said, Peter, James, John, Mama and Daddy, he got the the dad and the mama, and he said, let's go in the house. And they went into the house. They're the only ones that went in. And the little girl was laying on a bed. And he went over to her and he said, which means little girl, get up. And she got up right in front of her mom and daddy. And it says, uh, verse 25, but the crowd had been sent out. He entered, took her by the hand, and the girl got up. And this news spread throughout all the land. The parents were amazed. And you know what Jesus did? It doesn't really say it here, but one of the other gospels he said, give her something to eat. Now, we think that sometimes we go, that's so weird. And you remember when Jesus appeared in the, the room uh, that they hadn't seen him, and he appeared and said, it's really me, and they all went, it's really you? And he said, you give me something to eat. Uh, we, we think, boy, I guess, I guess death and resurrection takes that out of you, and you're ready to eat or something. No. Why would he want something to eat? He's saying, I'm going to show you this is my real body. I'm, I'm not a phantom. I'm not a ghost. Your daughter, get her something to eat. She's really alive. And that's what he's doing. And so they were amazed. We've seen Jesus heal this woman who had been a blood issue for 12 years, just like that. We've seen a little girl who was 12 years old die, and he raises her back up. See, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me will never die. We have eternal life. When Jesus came, he died on the cross to do what? Pay for sin and rise again to conquer death. That's what he does. He pays for sin, and he rises and conquers death. Well, he's not through. This, is, this passage is a short passage, but it goes by really fast because now he's already healed two different things. He's healed a little, raised a little girl from the dead and healed this woman. And then notice what happened in verse 27. And as Jesus went, went on from there, two blind men followed him crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Now, by the way, these are two blind men. And they begin to follow him, and they begin to shout out, Son of David, have mercy on us. And you say, well, what's the big deal? Because the Son of David is the title of the Messiah. If they say Son of David, they're saying, we believe you are the Messiah and the Savior of the world. They trusted in him already. If you remember, there's another story. We'll get to it later on. There's a guy by the name of Bartimaeus. He's by the road. It's near Jericho. Jesus comes walking by, and he's blind. And he says to the people, who's going by? Who's going by? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He knows who Jesus is. He begins to shout, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped when he heard him say, Son of David, because he knows if you call him Son of David, you're seeing that he's the Messiah and the Savior. So when these two blind men are saying, Son of David, have mercy on us, when he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, do you, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do you think I can really do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, it will be, shall be done to you 
according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. Opened. And Jesus sternly warned them about, don't, don't tell anybody, don't go out telling all this stuff. We'll talk about it more in a minute. But he said, you believe this? Most of you know Ken Shepherd. He's spoken here before. He, I was a assistant pastor with Ken Shepherd. I was actually a youth pastor while I was in seminary. And I remember that I trusted Christ with Ken and Knapp had a Bible study that I wandered into when I was in college, and that's where I trusted Christ. And I remember later I was in a Bible study with Ken. He would be teaching sometime, and he would talk about the simpleness of faith, that it just, you, you take God at his word. You believe something. That's what faith is. Faith is taking God at his word. I remember one time he pulled out a $5 bill. He said, and he looked at me, he said, do you believe that I'll get this to you? And I said, I sure do. And I took it and put it in my pocket right then. See, that, that's what faith is, taking God at his word, is believing. And Jesus said, do you believe, you, you two guys believe that I can heal your eyes? Because they've already believed that he's the Messiah. They called him son of David. And he said, what do you, what do you want? It shall be done according to your faith. And immediately their eyes were opened. And by the way, he says, don't tell anybody about it. But what did they do? What would you do? What would you do if you had not been able to see and Jesus touched you and you could see? What would you do? I'd be telling anybody I could find. But Jesus said, don't go tell anybody. And they go, I can't help it. Right? Listen, when you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, did you tell anybody? Were you pumped about it when you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior? For some of it was a long time ago. Listen, I trusted Christ when I was 19, Bible study on the way to get a hamburger Thursday night. The next day was track practice. I went running out because I knew that head track coach was, was the dean of men also at my college. And he, I knew he loved me a lot. He, we were close. And the first, I went running to Coach Riley and I said, Coach Riley, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior last night. That's the first thing I said to him. He went, well, that's, that's good, JB. <laughs> you know, I don't think he knew exactly what to say. But anyway, think about it. When was the last time you told anybody? You know, we all talk about how to ways, different ways to share our faith, and I always say John 3.16, just use John 3.16. But have you ever also thought about telling somebody how you trusted Christ? That's one of the ways we teach in our 412 study that Brian does. He teaches people how to, how to share their faith using their testimony. So what do these guys do? They go out and they start telling everybody. Why didn't Jesus want them to tell? Listen, he already can't walk anywhere. There's several places that actually say that Jesus tried to do a certain thing, but there were so many people he couldn't do it. And so the purpose of these healings were, were really so to show that he is the Messiah. Uh, he didn't come just to heal. So a lot of people say Jesus came to heal. If he came to heal, he failed because he didn't heal everybody. You remember the time he came to that place with the five porches and the guy had been there for a long, long time and Jesus said, did you want to get well? And he said, well, you know, that pool of Bethesda, uh, I, I can't get in it. And he said, well, get up and walk. There were a whole bunch of other people Jesus didn't heal at that time. He just healed that guy. Jesus didn't come to heal. Jesus came to save. He came to die on the cross to pay for sin and rise again to conquer death and to give the gift of eternal life. But the healing and the miracles and the signs that he's doing shows who he is, that he's the Messiah and the Savior and the King. So the purpose of these healings was to show that Jesus was the Messiah and the King. And we've seen his, his, his power over sickness and death. Watch the next thing. Look at the next one. As they were going out, a mute demon-possessed man was brought to him. This is a guy can't speak. After the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed and were saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. The people were amazed. Now, 
It doesn't say, and the people believed. And there's places in the Gospel of John, there's places in the Gospel of Matthew that they'll say, and they believed in him. It doesn't say that right here. And I'm not saying they didn't believe, it just doesn't say they did. It said they were amazed. Nothing like this has ever happened. By the way, what was the Messiah? What exactly was the Messiah supposed to do? He was to heal the sick and proclaim the gospel. He was. In the Isaiah passage, it said that he would heal the sick and raise the dead, and people, the lame would be able to walk, the blind would be able to see, and the good news message would be proclaimed. That's Isaiah chapter 31 and Isaiah 60, 62. And those passages tell, here's the, some of the things the Messiah will do. He's doing exactly what the Messiah and the King will do. Now, we've seen the people go, wow. But look at verse 34. But, contrast, the Pharisees were saying he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. What did the religious leaders say? They say he's powers from Satan. Let me ask you something. If you're a religious leader and you don't like Jesus and you wish that he was dead and you're watching what he's doing and you see him heal people and do this, you can't deny it. You can't say, hey, he didn't heal that man. And everybody look at you and say, yes, he did, you idiot. You just see it. They couldn't say that that guy now can, oh, he can't walk. Yes, he can. He just walked off. So they couldn't deny the miracles. So how are they going to answer it? Well, they're going to say that even though he is doing miracles, he's not from God. He's from the devil. That's what they said. They said that Jesus' power, when he was on the earth, he was from the devil. Look what it says again. It says, uh, the Pharisees were saying he cast out demons. He cast out these demons by the ruler of the demons. That's Beelzebub. That's another name for Satan. So they denied that he was from God. They said he was from the devil. And we're going to see it get worse. Now, by the way, if you have this little deal, it says... After this, the program is explained, and then there's the rejection of the king, and then there's the conflicts of the king. They're going to come after Jesus all the way through, and it ends up by him dying on the cross to pay for our sin and rising again to conquer death. That's what we're going to see. And that's what's going to happen in the book as we go through it. Matthew is presenting this. But I want you to see something. Look at verse 35, and as you read verse 35, this may ring a bell. Okay, look at this. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, just look at that verse, and I'm going to turn back. Don't turn back with me, but I'm going to turn back to chapter 4, and I'm going to read to you verse 23. Just look at the verse I just read to you, verse 35 of Matthew 9. Listen to Matthew 4, verse 23. And Jesus was going through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. It's almost exactly the same thing. He is summering up. Remember we said back in chapter 4, Matthew 4, 23, these are the three things that Jesus is going to do in his ministry. He's going to teach the word of God. He's going to proclaim the gospel, and he's going to heal people. And here we have in Matthew 9, 35, he's teaching in the synagogues, he's preaching the gospel, and he's healing people. Just what he said he was going to do, just what the summary is. And by the way, we talked about this. We get to do the same thing. We get to teach the word of God to others. 2 Timothy 2, 2, take what we've been taught and entrust this to others. If you know anything, and you do, you know at least the gospel to begin with. You know truth from the Bible. Your responsibility is to teach others. And then we get to preach the gospel, which means to proclaim the, the message of salvation. Second Corinthians 5.20, we're ambassadors for Christ as though God were 
that's seeching through us. We get to go into this community and into this world taking the message of Jesus Christ. And the third thing, now, we don't heal like Jesus did, but we can touch lives physically. We can help to bear burdens, as Galatians 6 talks about. We can help people where they are. We get to do that. Now, notice verse 36, and I, and I love it. See, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. Because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. The word compassion is a really strong word. It has this idea of it's almost like you're hurt for them. Now, <clears throat> I, um, I know some people who have great compassion. And where some people will walk and go, oh, that's terrible. They'll go, that's terrible. I'm going to do something about it compassionate people. They see it. They see when people are hurting. They know what's going on in people's lives. And when Jesus saw all those people, he said they're like sheep that don't have a shepherd. That's why he loves us. Now, I want you to notice this last part. And, and sometimes I, I, I've heard people say things like, you know what? We need to pray that people will trust Christ. That's exactly right. We do. That's not what Jesus asked for here. Look what he asked for. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech, pray the Lord of the harvest to do what? To send out workers into the harvest. He prays for more workers. That's what we need to pray for. See, see more of us, we all sit around saying, oh, we want to pray that people trust Christ. We do. But then we sit around and say, we're just going to pray that people trust Christ. What we should be doing is going out and leading people to Christ, right? Jesus said, pray that there'll be more workers. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. I have to tell this one quick story. But if you go over to the Gospel of John, you remember when Jesus was at the woman, with the woman at the well? And his disciples had gone into the city near Sychar, had gone in there to get food. A woman comes out there who is an outcast. Jesus leads her to Christ. She understands who he is, and she goes into the city. Think about this. The 12 disciples went into the city and did not tell one person about the Messiah. And this woman who was an outcast trusts Christ. She goes back into the city and she tells everybody. And all of a sudden they look up and there's thousands, hundreds of thousands, not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds of people, thousands. They're coming out to see Jesus. Why? Not because the 12 disciples. They went in to get food. This lady went in and told people about Jesus and they come out. What are we doing with our lives? We need to be concentrating on telling people about Jesus Christ. The message would go out and that God would raise up the workers. Well, we've seen a lot. Let's, let's finish. Let me give you some applications and let's think about this. First of all, let's pray for the harvest, the spread of the gospel. That's what Jesus said. Look, we've got to have compassion for others. Just like, Jesus. you know, sometimes we look at people and we don't feel anything. You remember we talked several weeks ago in grow groups in here when we said, do we believe that people who do not trust Christ will be separated from God forever? Do you believe that? Yes, we do. What are we going to do about it? Do we have compassion? Do we want to go out with that message? And so let's have compassion for others. Let's pray. Pray for the opportunities to tell and pray that there'll be more workers that will go out. And then do this. Let's tell others. Let's proclaim the good news message. Let's, let's pray for people. Let's write down names and say, Lord, give me opportunities to talk to these people. Let's pray for the harvest. The second thing is, let's be faithful to serve. Think about that. What did Jesus do? Teaching, preaching, healing. What do we do? Teach the word, proclaim the gospel, and help meet needs. That's what we should be doing. They will know us by our love one for another. That's the key.
The third thing, let's realize the power of the king. What have we seen? His power over death, his power over disease, his power over demons, his power. Uh, I mean, you, as you read just chapters 8 and 9, you go, how many miracles is this so far? I mean, how many so far? Five right here in this little passage right here. We've got, I mean, just think of it. Uh, we know that there are at least, if you take the four Gospels, recorded 35 miracles recorded in the four Gospels. It's amazing. Last but not least, expect opposition. When you go out with the message of Jesus Christ, expect opposition. And look at this, from religion. Listen, have you noticed that when Jesus met people, if they were what they call the sinners and the people who'd messed up, he loved them. The only people he got on, the only people he sort of got after were the religious leaders who thought they didn't need him, who thought they were righteous, who were religious, who kept all the rules and thought everybody else was sinners and they were right. And he was the one that got after them. So let me tell you something. When you proclaim clearly the grace message of salvation, there'll be people against you and it won't be unbelievers. It'll be fellow religious people who will say, your message is wrong. You're making it too easy for people to go to heaven. You're telling them they trust in Jesus and they have eternal life. There's much more than that. You better be willing to do this and do this and do this. You're going to be attacked by religious people, not by the fallen world. They don't even know what to believe. So be ready. When you go with the grace message of salvation, just expect that.